Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Terry Morler with Keller Williams Realty in Westlake Village, California. Last year, she closed 68 transactions with a total sales volume of $40 million. Her average sales price was $590,000, of which 44% were buyers and 56% were sellers. She operates a team with five members, one realtor partner, one showing partner, one transaction partner, one listing partner, and one team leader. Terry Morler is the team leader of Terry Morler Partners. She's been an agent for 35 years, sold 110 homes in her best year, and helped over 2,100 families move in her career. In this call, Terry talks about moving to California as a single mom and starting from scratch, how her passion for real estate investing turned into a career as an agent, running her own brokerage, then working for another brokerage eventually taking over a third brokerage and being a top producing agent the entire time. How she turned around a lackluster brokerage and built it into a powerhouse. What she does to generate over 90% of her personal production by repeating referrals from her past clients and sphere of influence. The exact steps to her simple yet profitable referral marketing and prospecting program her team showing partner, achieving the seventh level in both her personal team and her 250 agent brokerage, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Terry. Thank you, Mike. I'm excited. Hey, Terry, it's great to have you here. Terry, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Before real estate, I grew up in New England and Massachusetts, and my mom died when I was a little girl, and I've always really wanted to make something of my life, and I started my career in banking. I started at the mailroom in a bank and worked my way up and moved out to California in the early 70s because there were more opportunities for women in banking. I don't have a college degree, and it was pretty pretty challenging back in New England in those days when males were promoted instead of females. But I started in a bank in, in Santa Barbara, of all places, and was able to work my way up. And while I was at the bank, I was able to look at real estate as an opportunity, and I started buying and selling real estate. I was in my early 20s in those days, and it was a time when you could do wraparound loans, and there were all different opportunities. You didn't have to qualify like you do today. And the more I learned about real estate and the more I learned about finance, the more I really wanted to go into real estate and entrepreneurship. 
I had used five real estate people during the time that I was buying and selling, and none of those people seemed to resonate with me. They were either too pushy or they didn't give me the kind of information that I needed to make good decisions. So I moved to Thousand Oaks in 1979, and I started my own real estate company, uh, Morla Realty, and I had that company until 1991. And uh, it was a frustrating time for me. At the beginning, it was exciting. And then I started to want to help more people and started to grow a company. But I learned quickly that not everybody was as motivated as I was. And so in 1991, I closed my office and I went to Remax and I spent the next 20 years at Remax developing a referral-based business. Why did you go from owning a company to working for someone else in someone else's company? Because I felt that I really wanted to focus on the client. I I learned that what I loved to do best was to help clients achieve their goals. And instead of trying to help other people um, like agents to try to, uh, you know, get what they wanted out of their careers, but they were not motivated maybe enough as, as much as I was. When you first got into real estate back in 79, do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? I think I had a pretty fast start in 1979. When I moved down to Thousand Oaks, I didn't know anyone, but I was buying and selling real estate on my own. And my customers at the bank were engineers. And so they were, they were inquisitive to learn what I was doing and wanted to jump in too. So I started selling investment property, single family homes to engineers in Santa Barbara. So in those days, I would drive the hour from Thousand Oaks to Santa Barbara to give personal service to these people, and I started selling investment property. And in fact, it's kind of an interesting story because I worked with investors and um, uh, buyers, and I didn't really do a listing until I was in the business for five years because I had to wait for one of those buyers to actually buy a piece of real estate. But what I did is when I moved down here, again, I didn't know a single soul, but I got involved in community uh, services. I got involved in the Chamber of Commerce and eventually worked my way up to be chairman of the board, which turned out to be a really wonderful opportunity for my business. And so uh, it, my, one of my very first clients I met at a chamber mixer. And she was a lady that came up to me, and I always wear a name tag, and she said to me, gee, maybe you can help me. My husband passed away a couple of years ago, and I'd like to put my child's name on the title. And I said, absolutely, I can help you. Well, I had no idea what to do because I had not really done a transaction yet. And so I went to an escrow officer and said, can you help me? And I know I'm going to be successful, and I will promise you my escrow business if you help me through this. So we, she helped me. We put it together. The lady came in, and we sat down, and, and she said, what do I owe you? And I said, you know, I said, I'm building my business, and as you go along, if you should see somebody that could use my service, please pass my name on to them. So like four months later, the lady calls me and tells me that um, she's at her desk, and she'd like to introduce me to someone. And the gentleman got on the phone, and he said, I understand you're the best agent in Thousand Oaks. And I said, I sure am. And, and by then I had sold one piece of real estate. And <laughs> so anyway, he said, well, he said, I'm relocating from Ohio um, to here. And he said, I'd like you to help me. He turned out to be the personnel director of Blue Cross. <laughs> for the next five years, I did all the relocation for um, Blue Cross. 
And my second client was a little builder who was doing, I wanted to do a 1031 exchange. And so I exchanged a little condo that he had down in Los Angeles into three condos here in the Caneo Valley. And it took me, it took me four months. I made enough money that I could sell my Pinto, which I was driving, you know what that is. <laughs> and I bought a used Mercedes, which I had for 10 years. That's a fantastic start. You've been in the business a while now. How long has it been? I've been in the business since 1979, so this is my 35th year. And honestly, Mike, I get up every day and I feel blessed to do something that I love so much. But at this point in my life especially, I really do what I love and I love what I do. That's fantastic. Let's go through a couple of stats. Last year, how many homes did you sell? We sold 68 homes last year. Do you recall the sales volume? Almost $40 million last year. How many homes did you sell in your best year? My best year was a year in which I sold 110 properties. Most of it was relocation. Uh, We have the largest biotech company in the world called Amgen, and they were doing a lot of uh, hiring. And I was the real estate agent of choice for that company. And so I did a lot of relocation, a lot of area tours. It was really fantastic. And that was in the in the 90s, where things weren't as complicated as they are right now with uh, paperwork and everything else, but uh, it was a good year. How many homes do you think you've sold in your entire career? I don't look at it as homes that I've sold. I look at it as families that I've helped, individuals that I've helped. I've helped over 2,000 buyers and sellers and investors in my career. Do you happen to know the, the volume of those transactions? Are you a billion-dollar agent? Uh, I am sure I'm a billion dollar agent. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, depending on what the price range at the early part of my career, the price ranges were in the hundreds and now it's seven, $800,000 in, in the Canal Valley. So I, I would probably say that I have sold a billion dollars worth of real estate to wonderful buyers, sellers, and investors. You mentioned that you started your own business, you went to Remax, you were with them for 20 years, and then you transitioned. Where are you now? Now I'm at Keller Williams. I've been at Keller Williams since 2007. I spent 20 really wonderful years with Remax, but the uh, local office that I worked at, the owners retired, and the new owners, I just didn't connect with them as well, and things were changing in Remax, and all of my friends around the country were leaving and going to Keller Williams. And so in 2007, I took my team and I went to Keller Williams. Now, Keller Williams in the Canal Valley, Thousand Oaks area, has been here since 2002. But it was really not, you know, started properly and didn't really follow the model that Keller Williams has. And so when I came to Keller Williams, uh, most of the other agents, and I'm very well respected, wondered why did I go there. And I have, of course, a broker's license. I could have, I could have worked for myself, but I love the synergism of being with something bigger, and I really wanted to stay connected with my friends. So we came with my team in 2007, and then in 2008, 
uh, the owner of the company at that time said that he would be closing the company and he wanted me to go over to the next city over. And I said, no way. So I, we came to the meeting of the mines and I was able to take over the majority ownership in this real estate company and remembering that I never wanted to own a real estate company because I had already done that in the early part of my career. But I really saw an opportunity, an opportunity to make a difference. So I took the company over in February of 2008. I'm a numbers person, so I looked at the numbers. The numbers, um, the, the company wasn't making any money, but it didn't have any debt. So immediately I started an escrow company, and we have escrow in California rather than attorneys. And so I started an in-house escrow company where we could do only our own escrows. So I thought, well, if they do my escrows, then I can put that money back into the company and we can make this a go until we start growing. And so I'm proud to say that we started off with 40 agents of which 35, I had no idea who they were. And in today's world, we have 250 agents. We are now in the top 25 in profit in the Keller Williams system. And so I completely turned this company around while I was still working on my agent business in 2010, September of 2010, I finished building out a 20,000 square foot state-of-the-art, uh, we call it a market center, an office, and it's designed for both the agent that likes to have an office and then for the up-and-coming agent who likes to have something that would be more open and more of a collaborative, cooperative thinking process so more like a giant Starbucks. So we have people who have offices. We have this um, Starbucks atmosphere. We have very high tech. I really love tech stuff. We have a green room where agents can go in and um, do videos. And we have a special room that I call the Den of Possibilities. Because I believe that we don't spend enough time thinking in today's world. And so it's a place where agents could go and just kind of decompress. There's some videos in there. There's also yoga books so you could do some yoga. And I also have think paint in there on the walls so that they can do some brain, brainstorming. And then as the OP, I spend, you know, several, several hours a week at 30-minute intervals um, just going in there and talking to agents, helping them to stay centered and focused. And it's really, it's really been a wonderful situation. You mentioned OP, and earlier to me you mentioned 7th level OP. You're a 7th level OP. What is a 7th level OP? A seventh level OP, and this is something we should strive for as an agent, um, is, is an opportunity to have a true business and be a leader in a business and not have to be in the business on a daily basis. I've worked very hard finding the right people to put in the right seats and follow a proven and um, system model company. The thing that I learned from Keller Williams is that with models and systems, and if we follow them and you know that it's a proven model and system, that you're going to have the right outcome. And when I took over the company, I'm a very learning-based person. I went to Austin and said, teach me, teach me. And so I took many classes and I really looked at and studied some of the other market centers that were 
very successful and started modeling those those type offices. And slowly but surely, it's a process. You know, just like our own business, it's a process. And so over time, and really relatively short amount of time, because it's from 2008 and this is 2014, so in six years, you know, we've been able to turn the company around. And from those listeners who are Keller Williams agents, we have been able to profit share to our agents since 2008 to this date over $1,400,000, $50,000 just last month. And so, again, it's the same kind of process that you do as an agent. You watch your numbers, you put the right people in the right seats on your team, and that's what I did in the office. I have the right team leader, I have the right market center administrator, which is like a CFO, and each person is a servant leader. That's the very first thing that they have to be. They're a servant leader. They are learning-based, and, you know, they aim to please. A couple quick things. Uh, just to clarify, seventh level, does that mean that the business can operate without you being in it on a day-to-day basis? Seventh level OP is someone who does not have to be in the day-to-day operations of the market center or the office. I have an excellent um, team leader who's been with me the whole time, and that is unheard of in the the Kellowian system because that's really the key, the heart of the Kellowian system is the team leader. The team leader is somebody who uh, helps grow the business but also helps retain and coach the top 20% of our company. And what I, what I have learned is that when we are doing what we love to do and what we're very good at, and if we can delegate everything else, then we're going to be successful. So what I did for her is everything that was not in her you know, top 20%, I helped her delegate to someone else. And so she stays focused on what she loves to do. And so like me... She really enjoys and um, looks forward to coming to work. So she doesn't have things on her plate that are not conducive to what she is very good at. And that is what I have learned about not only the, the market center in the office, but on my team. When you have the right people in the right seat, and then you help them, you guide them, you lead them. You don't manage people, you lead people. You help people to understand where their strengths are, and you stay focused on the strengths. You mentioned a concept of servant leader. What is a servant leader? A servant leader is somebody who is more interested in the other person than themselves. And these are special people. Not everyone is a servant leader, and especially in today's society. In today's society, it's like, look out for number one, and what, what's in it for me And so looking for the servant leader type people, you know, it's a search. And so like myself, I get up every day and the question in my mind is who can I help? Who can I help? And today in this interview, it's like I'm reaching out there and there's someone who is listening and I'm hoping that something that I say during this interview is going to resonate for them and help them. So who can I help? OP, what does OP stand for? OP is the operating principle. 
We could put these same type things in our real estate business. You want to strive for being the, you know, you're the, you're the team leader, but then you want to be able to walk away from your business and still have it run. Because, you know, in our business, I mean, I've been doing this for 35 years, and it's really amazing to me when I look at other people who have um, been in business as long as me in my town, and they really don't have a business. You know, they, they say, oh, I want to sell my business. Well, there's nothing to sell. You know, so my business is going to go on long after me because I have, I have systems and models in place that is going to allow it to do that. Let's do this. Let's step back for a minute and tell everybody where you're at. Where is Westlake Village, California? Westlake Village, California is about 40 miles north of Los Angeles. It's called Caneo Valley, and it's Agora, Westlake, Thousand Oaks, Newbury Park, and uh, it's a really nice area. We're 20 minutes in from Malibu. We have great weather. People who come here to live work in Los Angeles, but they like our great schools, the great weather that we have. It's never too hot. It's never too cold. The sun's always out. I know I sound like the Chamber of Commerce, but I, I travel the world and I will never leave here because it's really a wonderful place. We have 100,000 people, so it's not like a million people like Los Angeles. I can be at the airport in 45 minutes. I could be up to Santa Barbara in an hour and down in Malibu in 20 minutes. It's, it's really cool. Describe your current real estate market. Okay, Thousand Oaks is a planned community. It's a master plan community, the whole area. So we have no land left. The land was all used up in 2000. So right now, the way it is, is that if somebody comes into town and they want a new house, we have no new houses. So our market is at least 20 to 25% less in cost than if you would get closer to Los Angeles, to the San Fernando Valley. So people will drive an hour to work to be here because of the quality of life and the cost of housing. And right now, our market is if, if, if it's 700 or less, and the least expensive house here would be maybe 475. Um, that would be a house that was built in the, in the 1960s, and that's the oldest house that we have here. And so this is really suburbia. And so anything under that price range of 700 will, will still sell with a multiple offer. Now, when you get over 700, um, the qualifications and so forth, and so we're not going to see as many multiple offers. And as we get towards the more expensive property, you know, it'll take a little bit longer to sell. But I definitely see that from last year to this year that we have much more inventory. And right now, I would say we have a, a balanced market, but if it continues to have more inventory coming in, then we definitely will change the market from the seller's market to the buyer's market. Team, at this point, you're running kind of two operations at the same time. You're running the operation of the office, and we've just talked a little bit about that. You're also running the operation of a team or a team leader, and I'd like to move into that side. For your team and your your operation as an agent, do you have a niche or a specialization? I love first-time anything. I love first-time buyers, first-time sellers, first-time investors. And a first-time seller is somebody who has not sold for, let's say, 10, 15 years, 
and a first-time investor is somebody who probably owned a home with me for the last five or six years, and now we're thinking about moving up, but rather than move up, I'm encouraging them to hold on and keep the property that they have. And so all of this needs to have uh, more time spent on explaining and helping people with a strong foundation. The important thing for me is to be able to sit with people and do a consultation and make sure that they understand uh, what's happening next. For those people that you're recommending they keep their old home and turn it into an investment, do you offer property management services for them? We do have a property management company that we refer them to. I used to have my own company, but in today's world, I I helped another agent start a company, and so we refer our people to them, and so if they should need the property management. But the key to rental properties, which I do own quite a few rental properties, is putting the right tenant in. So everything that I do has a really strong foundation, and I spend a lot of time up front getting the right tenant for people. And then when you have the right tenant, the rest of it is going to flow very easily. What is the process for making sure you get the right tenant in your rental property? Getting the right tenant into the rental property for me is renting a little bit under market so that I have more choices. So I have more choices to look at. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm taking somebody who has like the absolute best credit or something like that. It's really looking at the person. We've had situations where somebody came out of a short sale and nobody else wanted to rent to them, but they're, they're really homeowners. And if we can sit down and understand the reasoning and look at the numbers and see that this was just something that happened in their life and we can give those people a chance, they turn out to be the absolute best tenants. They're used to being a owner of a property They feel humiliated that maybe this had happened to them, and they turn out to be really, really good. And so it's really looking and zeroing in on the right person, spending time with the person. It's a lot more work than what the average agent will spend, but for me, everything is foundational. Everything that I do is stepping back and looking and reviewing and and understanding and then going forward. Terry, on your agent business, your 68 transactions you closed last year, I know that you focus a lot, you mentioned it, on repeat and referrals. What percentage of your business last year was from repeat and referrals? 90%. Wow. So it's the majority of your business. Let's talk about how you're making that happen. Let's dive into that. First of all, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? I have 2,000 people in my database. The majority of those people are people I have sold their home to or that they have given me a referral. Each one of those people, I know everything about them. And this is the key to my business. I have a form that everyone fills out. It's called opening ceremonies. And on this form, it has the basic information, which is the work and number and cell number and so forth. But I also get birthdays, anniversaries. I get birthdays of the children. I want to know where they came from originally. I want to know uh, what restaurant they like, what kind of wine they drink or beverage, a plant. What are their hobbies? What books do they read? What do they like to do for fun? And so I know a lot about my client just starting out. 
You've sent me a copy of this form. It looks great. Would you mind if we put a copy of this form as an attachment for everybody to take a look at? Absolutely. I, I love to share this form because this is really the crux of my business. And also, again, I want to reiterate how this has paralleled with the operation of the office. So in the office, the market center, we have 250 agents. So that's like 250 people in my database. They, too, have this same kind of a form. So I send birthday cards, anniversary cards, and that to the agents in the office, just like I do my clients. So it's very parallel the way I work. So the opening ceremonies form, what's important is, is again, a foundation. So how my business works is that right now, as I'm on this phone call with you, somebody is calling in, either referring somebody to us, or they're calling in and saying that they were referred. The most important person at that point is the person who took the time to refer someone to me. So right away, I will send something to them. Now, I can send something. I can have readily, I have movie tickets, Starbucks coupons, little gift card kind of things. So I can immediately send a referral card thanking them for the referral. Now, I haven't even talked to the person yet. I haven't talked to the lead or the prospect, but the most important, again, is the person who's reached out for me. Also, if there's somebody, I have, I have about 150 people of those 200 people that I would call strong advocates. I mean, they go out of their way. And so what I do for them is that I can actually go into their contact card and see really what, what is the sport they like and maybe buy them tickets to a sport event. Again, I want to reiterate, I haven't even talked to the client yet. Okay, so that's the number one thing. And so now I will call or um, greet the uh, person who's been referred to me. I thank them and tell them that I really appreciate Mike referring them to me. And I talk a little bit about what is it that they're they're wanting, and then tell them, let me tell you how I work. And this is my script to everyone. Let me tell you how I work. I work a little differently than most agents that you're going to come in contact with. I like to sit down and really get to know you. I'm going to ask you to come in for initial consultation. And then that time, after I'm asking you some thought-provoking questions, I'm going to be able to tell you whether or not I'll be able to help you. Is that okay? And so I, everybody comes to, to the office. Now, if somebody's going to sell their house, I will go out to their house. So if somebody says, you know, I'm thinking about selling my house and buying another house, I say, may I please come by your house for 10 minutes? Okay, I just want to come to your house. I want to just take a quick peek at your house so that when you do come to the office and meet with me, and I'm asking you to please come to the office because all of my tools are here at the office, that's what I say, and but I want to just come by and see some of the things that you've done to your house. Now, really, on the listing side, what I'm doing is I'm going there. I want to see, you know, does this house need to be staged? Um, what are the, what's the situation with the house? When I go to that house, I am totally prepared. I know how many square feet in that house. I know how many square feet in the yard. I know when that house was built, I know how much they own the house. I do all of that stuff. Now, I don't even know if they're going to be my client yet, 
But when I go out there, I want to be able to walk through that house in my 10 minutes and be able to talk to you as if, you know, you're, you're the seller and I'm walking through the house and I say, yeah, I remember these homes. These are, these are the Wildwood 400 plan and these homes were built in 1979. I remember that. I started my real estate business in 1979 and then I'm talking through this and, and I may look up and I may see a big spot on the ceiling and I'm going to say, oh, what's that? And uh, I, I'm looking to see whether this person's going to be honest. If they say, oh, I'm going I'm to you know, cover that up. I'm, I'm learning about these people. Also, I am a personality profile guru. So I use the DISC profile. So while I'm walking through that house, I'm looking to see what personality style both the husband and wife are so that I can be able to prepare everything I need for them when they come to the office in the style of their communication. And that's another really important feature for me and the way I work. And so what would happen then is that I would have given them, if it's a seller, I would have gone to their house, spent 10 minutes, I would hand deliver at that time a a pre-listing package. If it's on the buying side, then I would either have delivered or mailed a a buyer package. So now I'm asking them to come in. Now, when they come in, they come in and we have a big screen TV that's out into our lobby. And so their name is up there. It'll say, Terry Moore, partners welcomes Mike and Mary. And our director of first impressions has been taught that they're to greet the people by name. We have a beverage card. It's a very much the way I've always worked my own agent business, like when I was at my previous company, Remax. But in here, because I own the market center, I was able to incorporate what I do on my own into um, when we greet people. So all of the agents in our company have that same opportunity, and they have found that it's really helped them. And I've taught them the consultation mode of selling real estate. So now the people come in, and so they, they see their name, they've been greeted, and so now we come out and introduce ourselves and give them the opening ceremonies. And the reason I wanted to say this is because I've talked before about the opening ceremonies, and, and agents have found it difficult to get people to give the kind of personal information that I'm getting from them, but it all has to do with the foundation that I have put forth first. So then they readily fill out the form because it's very different. Now, on this form, if you'll notice, it also has a question, and it says, so that our level of service best matches your expectations, how would you best describe yourself? So I'm actually asking them the DISC. And so when I meet now for this initial consultation, I pick up the form, and I look down, and I say, I bet you wondered why I asked these kind of questions. And they kind of look and I say, it's really important for us to be able to communicate with you at your level. And we proceed to tell them that, you know, we understand that that the breakdown in the world is communication, you know, whether that's lack of or misunderstanding. And we want to start off right at the beginning with very good communication with them. I'm able to look at your form right now. You don't use the DISC there. You break it out in the terms they would understand. What are those terms that you're asking them to pick one of the boxes? You know, I ask them, if, are you a bottom line person? Are you a bond salesman? 
Are you family and friends? Or is that most important to you? Or are you, are you a number cruncher? Now, it's kind of interesting because when people fill this out, you know, it depends on what, where they are at the moment. Because if you understand the DISC, it has to do with the environment that you're in. So, in fact, you could have a D personality, gentleman that's a D personality, and he's being relocated to our area. His wife is an S personality. Security and home is very important to her. He will not be that D personality at that time. He is going to be warm and fuzzy because he wants his wife to be happy. And so, as you understand this more, it is really the key, in my opinion, to really being able to work with people and have the outcome that, that you so desire. Well, Tara, you've been walking us down this process of working with a new referral that comes in. You've got us to the point where they're filling out your opening ceremonies form. What happens next? Again, I can't reiterate enough is that how this all happens has to do with their personality style. So if they're a D personality, they're very direct people. Now, you can have a D personality sitting with a, um, an F personality. So it's a matter of being able to make both people happy. The D personality wants everything now and quick, and the F personality wants everything slow and in detail. Okay, so when you've got a husband and wife there, um, and again, by... By asking these kind of questions, I mean, we can have fun with this. I can say, you know what, I can tell you're a bottom line person here, but, you know, we need to be able to help your wife understand what's going on here. And so we're going to take a little time here. Is that okay? Then he's going to say, oh, no, absolutely. So the other thing that I want to remind everyone is that everything that I do is orchestrated. So I've already told you that the way the people come in and, and the, the, the prepackages, well, also the team. It's very important that the buyer and seller um, uh, see and, and be introduced to the team as soon as possible. And this is what I've learned over my years. Otherwise, everybody just wants me to be there for the whole time of the transaction. And so I talk about my team, and I say I'd like you to meet them. And so I work with Chris Westwood, and Chris is, he is, I'm, I'm, in my, I'm the team leader. He is becoming the team leader. I will move up to be seventh level. So right now, I'm the team leader, and he is the team co-team leader because he does everything that I do. So he's always there with me on the initial consultation. I'm at all initial consultations. That's what I do now. What I do now is I do all the initial consultations with Chris so that he can learn, so that he can see how to put this foundation down. The customers get to meet our showing partner, because if it's a buyer or if somebody's moving up to another house, they're going to sell their house and move up, then, we, then Chris works with a showing partner. And so they work together, and she helps him show property. He may show at the beginning, but as they want to see other properties, she is there to help him and support him. And then if it's a listing, we have a marketing person, Nuet, and Nuet is there so that she can pop in so that she can talk a little bit about how she works with the team. And then Lynn Johnson Kane has been with me for 16 years, and she's like my backbone. And uh, she's been through it all with me for many years, and she's our transaction manager. And what she does is that she takes it from the time that it closes to the end. 
And for me, I'm at the beginning, I do the initial consultation, maybe go to the house if it's on the selling side. They come in, I do the initial consultation, I let the client know, I said, let me tell you how I work, and I, we, we explain that, and then I, I explain the whole process and what's going to happen next, and so that everybody understands. And then during the course of the transaction, um, I will pop in when the the loan has been approved or the contingencies have been removed or something in the middle and I will just pop in and say, look, I know my team is doing a fantastic job, but I just want to check here to make sure that everything's going well. Then when they say thank you to me, because they're going to say thank you, and in fact, anytime anybody says thank you during the transaction, which that is what we're looking for, we're looking for a thank you because when they thank us, we will say we really appreciate that you see that and would love it if you were able to find another person just like you so that when we close this transaction and then you're in your new home, that we have another person that we can help just like you. So it's always asking, but we're asking in a way once we have earned the right to ask, if that makes sense. And so when we're working with the client, now going back to the initial consultation, which is really, I, I want to really want the listeners to hear this because as the owner of the Keller Williams office, now having 250 agents, I can tell you that those agents who really truly understand the consultation process and make it part of their everyday life or their business have a much better business and a much better personal life than those agents that are just out there, you know, being pop-tart agents and just popping from one place to another with people and not really um, having the kind of relationship built up from the beginning. So during the time of the consultation, the first thing we do is the Ford FORD. So that's Family, Occupation, Recreation, and Dreams. And so we, we will talk about their family and maybe their, their brothers and sisters. I mean, it just depends on the flow of how we feel. We will talk about their job and how long have they been on their job. Do they like their job? What are they doing? Uh, what are you doing when you're not working? What do you like to do? Do you like to hike? And then we will, you know, play into that. And the dream part, that's the part where if you're a first-time buyer, we will say, describe this house to us. If it's somebody who is selling a house and moving up or down, we would say, uh, why don't you describe to us, describe to us right now how you see yourself going from this home that you've lived in for 20 years down to this one-story home that you'd like to, to live in? Do you see yourself selling your home first and going into a rental? Do you sell, see yourself finding a house first? And so all of this is helping us so that we can design a program for them that's going to work. We sit with a yellow tablet in front of us, and we just write down all of these different things, and it's just a blank piece of paper when we start, and we tell them that we're going to create a template for them so that we can follow this template and we're going to hope that we're going to be able to meet and even exceed their expectations today. And we ask a lot of questions. You know, what's important about selling your house right now? What's important about finding a one-story house? You know, what's important about this? What's important? You're not presenting what you're going to do. You're asking what do they want to achieve? Exactly. And, you know, and we start off really by saying, 
We need you to understand that we, we did tell you that we don't work with every client. We work with the clients that we believe in our heart that we're going to be able to meet and hopefully exceed their expectations. And so by asking some thought-provoking questions today, and we're hoping that we will be able to work with you. And if we can't, then we will either make a recommendation to you or we will tell you why is it that we are not going to be able to help you achieve your goals. And why that is important is because I don't think we should work with everyone. I mean, sometimes there's people we just can't connect with, but oftentimes there's people who are describing something to an agent that is just not there. You know, I wouldn't, somebody who comes here says, wow, I love all the hillside properties you have. I would like to have one of those. I'd like to have a house on the hill with a view, maybe an infinity pool. And they're describing this. And then we sit down and, and figure out the financial part of it and find out they can only afford 600000 and there's just no way. Now, the average agent, unfortunately, will say, well, we might not be able to find that, but, you know, we'll keep looking. Well, you could keep looking here until we got frost here, which is never, and um, it's not going to be here. So we say that, you know, we need you to understand that we're going to be upfront with you and we know the market well. And so if we're able to help you, we're going to help you. And so what happens is that you, you develop a really strong relationship with these people right up front because they see that you're not the typical salesperson, that you really care about them and that you care about um, how this is going to work. And the initial consultation, depending on what their time frame is. And so if somebody is a relocation person and they're coming for the weekend, we can do everything that we're doing over a weekend. If they're here and, they're, and they're, their lease is not up for three months, we can do things over a period of time. But always we meet with the lender, and we don't, and I have never done, uh, send a person to a lender. Whoever they want to use is fine, but I want them to meet with my lender up front with me sitting in front of them. And so, and the reason for that is because I understand their personality at that point. I understand what they understand and what they don't understand. And so I will have the lender come in and it sometimes it's at the initial consultation. Sometimes we make another consultation and and the lender will come in and we sit down with the lender and we play out what it is that we're trying to do. And we talk about the different options. We talk about the different loans. And I know right now that the listeners are saying, wow, it's really taken her a long time. But I'm telling you that by having a good foundation with people, you know, we don't lose people to other people. And in California, I know in many states, uh, they use buyer broker agreements. In Southern California, for whatever reason, it is not, it's never been a thing. And so, no, there's very few agents who will use that. But in my career, I have never lost a buyer to another agent. And I, I attribute that to the fact that I spend so much time up front with them, you know, cementing that foundation. And many, many, many times they leave and within two days, somebody else is calling me. Because if, it, if they're a first-time buyer, they have friends who are first-time buyer people. If somebody is moving down and an older couple moving down, they go tell their friends that they're thinking about moving down and before you know it, their friends are going to be moving down. And so each one of our consultations in the back of our mind is like, 
they're going to be telling someone else. And so we want to make sure that we do a really good job and that when they come back, anytime we hear, thank you, we appreciate this, wow, you're different, then that is an opening for us to say, yes, we do think we're, we're different than other agents. And during the time that we're working together, you may find other people that are like you that are considering the same thing. We would love to have an opportunity without expectation or obligation to have them sit down with us too. And whether they want to do something today or three years from now, we'd love to have the opportunity to explain the process and exactly how we work and work differently than most agents they will come in contact with. This initial consultation, is the entire consultation in this inquiry phase or is there a second phase of this consultation? It depends. Again, if somebody's here for a weekend and they're looking for a house, you know, then chances are we had the initial consultation over the phone with them and we may even have a consultation with their children. Because when you're working with relocating people, you know, you get kids that are, you know, teenage kids and they don't really want to come. So we try to help them, too, to become acclimated. And so we will have a consultation with them and ask them what's important to them about coming here and what are the things that they like to do. And sometimes we'll connect people with people. So we connect kids with kids. And so we do a lot of, again, going back to servant leadership, it's, it's like, what would you want? What would, what would you want if you were going into a new town? What would you want if you were thinking about moving down? How would somebody be able to really wow you and help you to make those decisions? So we go way beyond, way beyond most agents that I know. Because we're in a, in a society of instant gratification, it's hard in this society to step back the way we work. And again, going back to my team, it's, it's challenging the right, to find the right people who are this type of giving person, but also smart and aware and can um, look at situations and be able to help people, but yet see opportunities that we can help other people. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. How long does the initial consultation take? Are you 30 minutes, an hour? What's your time frame that you set aside for it? We allow one hour. When the people come in, we ask how long. We want to make sure that our timing is fine and that we have allowed one hour for this consultation. Is that okay? And uh, so, and, and we tell people up front, it's probably going to take about an hour to come in. And it can be anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half, depending on if we are going to be meeting with the, the lender or not. But it's a very focused time. We tell them that our goal is that when you walk away from this consultation, that you're going to feel good that, number one, that you've got the right agents that you've picked to help you with this, and number two, that you understand the process, you understand what's next, and that that you feel good that we're working at your pace and within your time frame and that, you know, we are interested in what you want and not what we want. 
these are all things that there's no other agent who's talking this way to them. And if they've been out with other agents and we were, and sometimes people will be out with other agents and then they'll be telling their friend that they've been out looking for a house, but they're not happy or whatever. And then their friend will recommend us and they come in and we are just so different that they start listening. During the initial consultation, you're inquiring about their needs, what their goals are, their, their forward and objectives. At any point during that initial consultation, do you make a presentation to them about what your services are? On the listing side, we have a marketing presentation, but most of what we do, it's not like a checkoff list. It's internalized. It's, it's conversational. We never miss anything. And that's why it takes practice. And so, you know, Chris has been doing quite well um, just internalizing this because it's the same. You know, if you're a first-time buyer, we ask, you know, what would keep you up at night? You know, so there there are certain questions that we always ask so that we can have a feeling for them. And the opportunity that, that people have with us is, taking time to step back and really reflecting on what's important to them about whatever they're doing. And that comes into play when you're into negotiation. So if you're on the listing side and what was really important was for their family to be together back in Ohio and one of them is still here, then we can come back and, and we take copious notes. Um, we use Evernote for our electronic files now. And so we take copious notes and we remind them that during the negotiations of their counteroffer that what was really important to them when we had our initial consultation was that the family was to be together. And so right now, let's look at what this offer is. And we know that we want to get as much as we possibly can get for you, but isn't it important that you get to be with your family as soon as possible? Terry, what happens after the initial consultation? After the initial consultation, um, we have what is called what's next. After every single thing we do, we say what's next. So what's next is what's next. So if the person is ready now to, to buy a house, then the next process would be making an appointment to go out initially with Chris, who is my co-team leader, and he will go along with Robin, who is our showing partner, usually on the initial showing of homes so that we're all in the right direction of what they're saying. Because if they said they'd like to have a big backyard, what is a big backyard to them? What is a big kitchen to them? And so we will have maybe go out and show three or four homes the first time to make sure that we're on the right track. And when we do this, we will tell them that we're going to go out and show three or four homes. But we want them to know that if by chance, because we really listen to them and we really connected and what they are saying is actually out there, that it's okay if they find a house today. And if they, if, they want to, if they want to make an offer on a house today, it's going to be okay. But we're not going to push them into making an offer today. And a lot of what we do is reverse psychology, allowing people to feel that they are in control and they're not going to be persuaded to do something. 
And so many times uh, over my career, I've had clients say to me, Terry, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, I want to write an offer. I want to write an offer. And so, you know, I've never really had to say to people, um, well, what would it take to write an offer today? I, I, I just don't work that way. You know, I work more in the servant leader, uh, more of what I would want if I was a buyer or a seller. And so... So anyway, so that would, that's what would happen. Now, if it's on the listing side, after, you know, after the client decides that they're going to work with us, it's hard because I want to tell you that 99% of the listings that we go on, we're going to get if they've been referred to us because they've already been told by their friend that we're the best. We do have the best marketing. We have the best presentation. You know, we always make sure and we strive to, to have whatever the, the newest thing is. Like right now, it's um, drones, being able to take pictures with a drone and not just on $10 million properties, but on everyday properties. And so we're working with someone now. And so when we go and sit down with a seller and say, you know, this is what we have that's unique and different because the consumer today, everything is on the Internet. They want to be able to look at the property beyond just pictures. They'd like to see down the street. They'd like to have their own little Google Earth over the property. And so we pride ourselves in, you know, being able to do that. And so so on the listing side, it's a matter of the whole process. And our process is a little bit different, again, than most agents. We are not the type of agent that if you said today, um, I want to list my house and can you have it listed tonight? probably not going to work for us because we use professional pictures as part of our marketing. We'll do a physical inspection on the property. We do a termite inspection and it's part of our cost. And we do this because by understanding the house and understanding what's wrong, we can either disclose things up front or we can fix things for less expensive. Uh, A big thing here is patio covers. We have patio covers that always seem to have dry rot. If you sell a house and you're in the middle of the escrow process of closing and it comes up that the patio cover is infested with dry rot, then the patio cover needs to be replaced. A patio cover can be three, four, five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000. So if we knew that the patio cover needed to be replaced, we can either decide to do it or just take the whole patio cover down because now, now it's not there. And so we are very proactive in everything that we do rather than reactive. I think, again, that is what makes us different than anybody else. So going back to the initial question is like, what's next? So it's, it's what's next. And so we, we have that plan and then each time it's what's next. So the client always knows what's next. Another thing is that we tell people when we're going to call them back. We don't say, we'll give you a call back next week. We say, Mike, is it okay we give you a call back? What about Tuesday? What about Tuesday at 2? We'll call you Tuesday at 2, whether or not we have an answer. So there's always a what's next. And so that's an important system that we have put into place. And that's a way of being able to manage your time and manage the expectations of the client. When you're working with a seller, you have the initial consultation, and the what next would be a listing presentation. Uh, Does that occur in your office or at their home? The initial consultation for the seller 
is at the office. However, there is a pre-consultation, if you want to call it that, and it's 10 minutes that we just go by the house, and what we're looking for there is we're looking to see what somebody has done inside their home that might make it worth more or less. Uh, Are we going to have to stage this home? Are we going to have to help them uh, declutter? What are we going to have to do? And then also we're trying to decide the personality style and, um, you know, really be able to understand the person. When we go uh, on that initial consultation at the house, that little 10-minute one, both Chris and I will go and uh, we will Uh, know everything about that house. We will know how many square feet. We will know when it was built. And and the reason why we need that is that while we're walking through, we're just kind of casually in conversation talking. And what we want at the end is for that seller to be wowed at the fact that we know so much that we're very interested in their home and that we understand so much about the neighborhood. Then we asked them if they would please come in and they could come in in the afternoon. So this could be happening. We run by at nine o'clock and they're going to come in at, at one o'clock for the consultation. We will leave them a, um, a pre-listing package. And again, they will come to the office uh, for that actual consultation. In the initial consultation with a seller, do you sign the listing agreement or is that another appointment? It depends. If somebody is ready to do something then, then we will sign the the listing paperwork at that time. But very rarely do we put the house on the market at that time because we want to put our best foot forward and we explain that to the client. Now, if there's a time constraint for them, we can do everything that we we could do in a week, in a day if we have to. But most people, you know, need to declutter. Most people need to do things. And then when we tell them about the benefit of us having that pre-home inspection and that pre-inspection for the termites, then that allows us the time that we can um, put together the professional photography, the the brochure, and all of the marketing. We're very heavy into the Internet, and we tell people that it is very important because as, as a buyer today, and if they're if they are thinking about buying, moving down or moving out of the area, we always ask the question, where have you been looking for homes? And everyone now, I don't care how old they are, everyone is looking online. And so we use that. We say, you know, just like you, uh, everybody is looking online. And when we have a showing of your home in today's world, it is actually a second showing because the first showing of your home was on the Internet. So it's very important that we put our best foot forward. That's why we want to use only professional photography, why we want to have video now, and why we want to have this new little drone that's going to take special pictures. So we, you know, explain all of that to them. And so they, you know, very rarely do we do anything as quickly as like list it today and put it on the market tomorrow. Terry, let's talk about the marketing to your past clients and sphere of influence. What does your marketing plan look like? What are you doing to get these referrals to occur? Number one is making calls to the past clients. So both Chris and I make calls every day. I call on Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. And I call in the morning and I call from 9 to 11 every day. And so who am I calling? 
once this whole system is started, you're calling the people who pop up on my computer. So I call people about every six months, six to eight months, or sooner, depending on what happened into a, in, a, in a phone conversation. So if I called you today and I hadn't called you for six months, you know, I'm going to start off by the Ford, F-O-R-D, again, you know, family, how's the family, you know, how's your job, you know, where, where'd you go on vacation, and then the other thing for the dreams part, I may talk about something that they'll, they'll say to me, well, how's real estate, you know, and so I never say how, I never say, let me tell you about real estate. They always ask me about real estate. So what I will do is depending on who I'm talking to. So if I'm talking to you and you've lived in your house for 20 years and I think it's probably time for you to move and now you're not working anymore, you're retiring next year, I will start telling you a story, which is actually a true story because now all my stories are true because they happen happening to me all the time. So I would just start, start describing to you someone who is similar to you I'd say, wow, you know, my business is really great. I just worked with this wonderful family. I sold them their house 19 years ago. Now their last kid just graduated from high school, and they wanted to have a one-story house, and we found this beautiful one-story house, and we put their house on the market, and it sold really quickly, and they were just really excited. You know, so I'm describing something that they could be doing. I could be making a phone call and know that your son or daughter just got married, and start talking about first-time buyers, how much I love first-time buyers. I could be talking about working with somebody who just is going into assisted living and being able to sell their home, and they lived in there for 30 years. And so now I'm talking about their mother or father who's going into that situation. So I'm just telling stories. And so either during that conversation or a week later, they're going to call back and say, hey, you know what? I was thinking about what you were telling me about those other people, you know, and I'd love to come in and talk to you. And so that's what my phone calls are like. Now, if I'm talking to you, and this morning I made a couple of phone calls before this call, and I talked to somebody who, their father, a gentleman who was like his father, who married to his mom for 40 years, passed away. And so he was sharing that with me. So immediately getting off the phone from him, I wrote a card, you know, and so that's the other part of what I do is that after every phone call, I'm going to send some kind of a card. I'm either going to send just a generic Keller Williams card that says, thank you so much for, you know, talking to me today, or I loved what you said about your son. I I try to say something that's personal. I call it a personal acknowledgement, and so I'm trying to acknowledge something so it's not like just you know, thanks for talking to me. Here's my business card. It's, I'm so sorry about your dad, or I'm so excited about your son being able to, um, you know, get on that uh, team or whatever it is. And so that I can hear that. Now, I just had one um, also today, the lady's dog died. And uh, so it was a dog that they had for many years, and they knew that it was going to die, but it still was kind of sad. So I have a pet card. So I have a card for everything. I have my best cards right now. You're going to laugh. I have a tooth fairy card. 
So if I hear I'm talking to you on the phone and I heard that your your daughter, I'll say, hey, how's the baby? And they'll say, the baby, the baby's six now. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, <laughs> and then, and my baby just lost her first tooth. So I always have $2 bills. So I'll put a $2 bill in a tooth fairy card. And I'll tell you, it is great. Another one that's really cool right now. I had last week, one of the clients, the son is 16, just passed his driver's test. There's actually a card that says, congratulations, I'm passing your driver's test. So I sent that kid that card, and the kid actually called me back. And uh, and probably the number one card, and I'd really love to have reach out to people because everybody knows this kind of person right now, there are cards. You get them at the Hallmark store, and they're called caregiver cards, not the person who's sick. It's the person who's caring for that person. And, and there's so many people out there now caring for a mom, a dad, a grandma, somebody. And so there's actually a card. And if you can send a card to the person who's caregiving this person and say, you know what, you know, I know that it's been challenging for you and I just want you to know that, you know, somebody out there cares. And so sending cards and based on that form, the opening ceremonies, so Every day on my desk, it's a system, okay? My, one, of, one of the team members, Lynn, this is her job, is that every day she goes to the database, she pulls out all the people who have birthday cards, anniversary cards, and so she writes out the envelope for me, puts the stamp on it, puts the return. We have a return label that says happy birthday or happy anniversary, and those are on my desk. So every day by 5 o'clock, that's part of my job, is I have to, I have to I put a postscript in every one of those notes. And so that's my job. You know, that's, that's one of my few jobs. So that's my job. And then I'm looking for other ways to send cards to people, you know, and, and you have to have the cards there. This system does not work because when we hear of somebody who just got sick, lost somebody, we want to send a card, but we don't get to the CVS store or the drugstore. We don't get there. And then three weeks later, we say, oh, God, I wish we would have sent them a card. So I have a whole drawer full of cards, all kinds of cards. I get my regular cards now at the dollar store. And those are the birthday cards and anniversary cards. And then those specialty ones I get at the Hallmark store. And Somebody out there is going to be saying, why doesn't she use send-out cards, those electronic ones? I do use some of those, but I still like snail mail that looks like somebody hand-wrote on the envelope, you know, and nobody gets very much mail anymore, and so my mail seems to stand out. Definitely a big part of my business, and calling people is a big part of my business and looking, and believe it or not, if you do this on a consistent basis... People just call you, and you have to experience. You have to come and sit with me, and people on the phone just rings. But it's a lot of little things and caring about people. And again, going back to this opening ceremonies, and so some of the other things that I do is that I can do a wine tasting. Okay, so this is how I first started when I had no money. Okay, I had no money, and I was a single mom. So I would invite three couples to come to my house and bring their favorite bottle of wine. So I didn't even have to bring, have the wine. They brought the wine. 
bring your favorite <laughs> bottle of wine, and we're going to do wine tasting. And I had a system of, I knew the kind of cheese and the crackers, and I could come home. This could be happening at 6 o'clock. I could get home at 5.15, and I knew in my cupboard was the, the plates, everything I needed, and I could just show up. And during the time of doing the wine tasting, there's one couple there that prospecting, you know, they're going to do something, or they're in a, in a business where they could give me a lot of referrals. They could be a CPA or they could be a personnel director. And the other two people just love me. And so you just put all those people in the same room and somebody's going to say, how did you meet Terry? And so then they just start talking about it. And before you know it, you know, I have another client. But, you know, looking at the form again, types of books, last year, every month, I had a come meet the author. So I just kind of started meeting people who wrote books. Everybody's writing a book. And so I would have them come to the office in the evening and we would have come meet the author. And so it was an opportunity for people to come in. I advertise or market this through my newsletter to them. I say this month's meet the author is so-and-so and then tell them when they come in the next month, so-and-so. And so I will have anywhere from 50 to 60 people every month coming to something, you know, coming to the book thing. Right now I'm doing a series and it's called Mindfulness. And I'm doing a, my first one was this past Wednesday. And so with another friend, I wrote a course on mindfulness because I don't think that we're mindful enough and we're not in the now and we're in a chaotic society. And so I had uh, 52 people, 52 past clients come or bring a friend. So I tell everybody to bring a friend. So that's how I get to meet new people. And so they come, it's one hour and it's a mindfulness class. And so I, I do that. So I'm always doing something. I do a lot of charity events. And by that, I mean, I will buy a table at a charity event. So I just did a Habitat for Humanity where I bought a table, and so it cost $1,000 for the table. And so I got to bring eight people. I try to bring people who I think whatever the charity is would resonate with them, and maybe they would be able to carry this forward and come again another time and pay themselves. But what I do there is that there are people who don't know each other, so I introduce people to people. Once a quarter, I try to have a brunch. Okay, you can go to like Hired or a hotel and make a deal with them, and I can get a flat $20 brunch with champagne with mimosas that will just be continuous. And so I will invite 15 couples to that. Now, when I'm calling you, I'm calling you, Mike, and I'm saying, hey, Mike, I'd really love to have you and your wife join Raymond and I for brunch on Sunday. Uh, can you make it? And so it may take me 50 people to get 30 people to come. But I don't say I'm going to have brunch for 30 people. I make it sound like it's just you. And then when you get there, then I say, wow, I just got carried away. And so I stand <laughs> up there. I stand up there and I try to put people with people. I try to put people on, at tables of people that they like. Now, some people know each other because they're connected. So but then my job at the brunch is just to walk around to the different tables and I say, look, we're playing a game here. There's a reason why you're at this table and you need to figure it out. 
Now, I work with a lot of engineers. That's really my specialty. Engineers, financial planners, CPAs, they're not people who like to talk. So I have to give them a reason to talk. So I just bounce back and forth. Did you get it? Did you get it? Then at the end, I'm going to have one of the people at the table get up and tell us what they had in common. And what's so interesting is that I put people together just because I think they're going to like each other, but I've put people together that uh, all had a mustache, not knowing it, not thinking about it, all graduating from the same college. I mean, it's really been kind of really interesting. And probably the funniest one was I had a big eye personality person, you know, fun and game kind of person. So he gets up and he's, we're at the Hyatt and he's got a microphone and he says, Raymond, my husband, Raymond, he said, Raymond, you know, we know that your wife spends a tremendous amount of time to try to get to know us at the deepest level, but we have no idea how she knew this about all the gentlemen at our table. And I'm looking at him like, because there's really no reason. I mean, I just put people together. And so he looked and he said, all of the gentlemen at our table, none of us wear underwear. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. And I just kind of looked and said, mm, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, so, but anyway, um, those are the kinds of things. And so rather than spend money on magazine ads, bus stop things, um, radio ads, or anything else that other people spend money on. I really spend money on my clients. I love it when the client has a charity themselves. And so if I know somebody is like big brothers and big sisters and there's an event, then I will buy a table at that. You know, so I probably spend $10,000 a year buying tickets to things and bringing people to it. And without expectation, so I want you to know, I mean, it's not that I go and say, okay, how quickly, you know, somebody once asked me, what is the return on your investment of that, you know, I don't look at it that way. I just know it's all going to come back to me. I just know that if I'm a servant leader, I care about people, I support people, that people are going to take care of me. And that's the way it's been for the last 35 years. Well, Terry, you've you've mentioned your team. You've outlined for us the members of your team earlier. I'd like to talk a little bit more about your team, just to go over real quickly and make sure I have this right. What I'm looking for right now is the title of the people on your team. You know what their positions are and what their number one responsibility is. So, Chris, Chris is my co-team leader, and so he is working towards really replacing me. And so he will do the initial consultations by himself eventually. What I do is that I work along with him and we do every initial consultation together. So that can be, oh, it could be four or five a week. Okay. And so that's what he does. Now, once we do the initial consultation and we know what's next, he completely takes over. So if it's the listing, then he will work along with Nuet, who is our listing manager. Now, she does all of the mechanics, if you want to say, of the listing from ordering the inspections to ordering the photography to putting the brochure together to following it during the, the listing process before we go into contract. We manage everything through Evernote, okay, so Evernote. 
So we have electronic files. So at any time, no matter where I am, I can look on my phone, on my iPad, and see what's happening. And see, that's the key. The key for somebody who is trying to become the seventh level, either OP or on my team. So on for the market center, the office, I have at any time, I have a trend report that I can look at and I know exactly what's happening every every day. And it's the same on the team. We actually have a team meeting every day for 10 minutes. We call it a team huddle. And so I get on those team huddles Monday through Friday, and we just, you know, um, talk about what's next, what's next. That's our big thing, what's next. Who's going into escrow? What's next with this, you know, the photography? What's next? So Chris will work along with Nuet on the listing side, and then Chris will also work on the buying side with his showing partner, Robin. Then once we go under contract, then Chris works with Lynn, and she's the one that's been with me the longest for 16 years, Lynn will work with Chris during the process of closing the transaction. So Chris will go to the inspections. We don't have the signing like they do in other states. And so when we are ready to sign loan documents, they come into the escrow company and they sign the loan documents. And then a few days later, it gets recorded. So it's not like some states where everybody sits around a table. So he doesn't have to go to a closing, but we have to get ready for the closing. So he works on on all of that. He also lead, lead generates every day like me from 9 to 11. He also sits on open houses. I don't sit open houses. So that's really the team. So it's Chris, who's the key person, co-team leader. We have Nuet, who's the listing manager. We have Robin, who is the showing partner. And we have Lynn, who closes the transactions. We have a very cohesive, well-loved team. I mean, they are very devoted to each other. They all work really hard. They all have flexible schedules. I should probably say that, too, because Lynn, who's worked with me all these years, she works because she has her son, and so she works in the morning, she works in the afternoon. She works in different hours in different places. She works here, she can work at home, and so does Nuet. Nuet has two children, and because they are allowed this opportunity of having flexibility, because I want them to have balance in their life, it's really important to me that they have balance and they will be happier people. So if they have a game, they will just put it in as an appointment in their schedule. And as long as they can work around that and they can tell the client that, you know, I want to do this for you, but I'm going to have to do it over here, is that okay? Then they cover for each other too. So if one of them has to go someplace for something and something really needs to be done, then they'll cover for each other. Is everyone on the team licensed? Yeah, everyone's on the team is licensed, and the reason why they're licensed is because Chris, of course, and Robin need licenses because they actually work with the client on the outside, opening up houses and stuff. But Nuet and Lynn don't really need licenses, but I want them to have a license so that they have, I don't have to, number one, worry about what they're saying, and number two, that it gives them more credibility. So they are, So one is a licensed transaction manager, and the other one is a licensed listing partner. And so it gives them more credibility with the client, and they're not just an assistant because it's important for me to know, to have my clients know 
that as a single agent, and this is my opinion, it is very challenging to sell real estate. You really need to have a team around you very much like a doctor and have that team be able to support you and so that you can give that client the kind of service that they deserve. You have a showing partner. That's a a unique position. Very few people are doing that. Tell us, what are the responsibilities of the showing partner and how is that different from a buyer agent? The showing partner doesn't write any contracts and how she's compensated. Chris and I work 50-50. So on the buying side, there's 50%. And so he is considered in our team dynamics the buyer agent for that purpose. Okay, so there's 50% there. So he works with Robin and gives her 15% of his 50%. So he then makes 35%. But what he gets is to have a life. And so they start off together many times so that they're on the same pathway with the client. And then Robin will take over and Robin will continue to show until it's time to write an offer. And then they go back to Chris. But Chris and Robin work very well together. Chris will follow up after Robin has shown homes to make sure that what's happening and so forth. Robin does a really good job uh, documenting. Again, we go into Evernote and we have a communication page on every one of our files. Just think of a regular file, except that this is electronic. And so that's how they work together. She also will sit open houses. So on the weekends, she'll sit an open house. And if she is able to produce a buyer or seller, then she's going to get a referral fee for that. And so her referral fee will be 25%. So that person will come into our pool and then we'll start the initial consultation and all of that. Terry, are you profitable? Yes. I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't profitable. Um, (laughs) I run a business like a business. And so it's really important that I watch everything that we do. Our business actually is, is simple. We have a newsletter that goes out, so it costs me about less than a dollar for my newsletter to go out. And my newsletter is its a generic newsletter, but on the front page of my newsletter is a letter from the heart, and that's from me. So I write a letter from the heart to the clients, and that letter can be about anything. I mean, it could be, I just celebrated my birthday. I had my birthday, I was 65, it's hard to believe, in, in April, and I took the whole month off the month of April. I just did all kinds of things. And in fact, my team, it was fabulous. My team sold six houses. They told me that I really don't need to be around and that they (laughs) could do everything themselves. (laughs) And so I'm probably closer to the seventh level of my team than I even know myself. But anyway, yes, I'm definitely profitable. I run my business like a business. I have a newsletter that costs me about a dollar, a newsletter. So 2,000 of those go out a month. So that's $2,000 with my staff, the parties, the charity events, those kinds of things, and the salaries for Nuet and for Lynn, they're paid on salary. And then the commission is paid through Chris on Robin. 
So our expenses will run us around $150,000 for everything that we do. And we will make somewhere between $800 to $1 million this year. And so then Chris and I, after that, we will split 50-50. And, you know, you didn't ask me about, you know, how much I work and Right now, I am working on Tuesday, and have been doing this for a long time, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. I am available for appointments. And so all of my appointments are by appointment. So it's not like very rarely does somebody just come in tomorrow unless the opportunity was there to just come in. So we work by appointment, and I have set appointments. So everything I do is in my calendar. So I have... It's called appointment opportunity. So they, anybody can put an appointment in there and it'll come up on my calendar. On Mondays, I stay home and I work on my business instead of in it. And so that's kind of like my project day. So it's a way to go in and tweak systems, develop new systems, write my letter from the heart. And then Thursday and Sunday, I don't work. Thursday is my personal day and Sunday is my family day. And each team member has a schedule that we work around as well. So we know that they have team sports for their kids or they have certain things that they're trying to do. We're all learning-based, so we're always taking classes in something, uh, getting a designation or something like that. And so this is all put into our calendar. Terry, what drives you? What drives me is a quest for always for success, to always do better, to achieve more. And what keeps me going is the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to help somebody, whether it's a buyer or seller or an investor or an agent in my company or one of my team members. It's the ability and the opportunity to make a difference. Terry, why have you been so successful? I think I've been so successful because I am driven, but I really think it has to do with I really love what I do. I mean, I get up every day and I feel so blessed to be able to do something that I love so much. And I focus and have focused for many years on what I do love to do and everything else is delegated out. You know, I have not been on an inspection for a house for probably 15 years. It's just not my unique ability. It's not something that I like. And so I've always been able to delegate to the right people, not just delegate, but delegate to the right people those things that don't excite me as much as the initial consultation, the art of the deal, overseeing a happy situation for a client, overseeing a very smooth transaction. So those are the things that I stay focused on, on my agent business and on on my company business. You know, it's being able to make sure that all our team members, our staff, they're all happy, they like what they're doing, they have enough education, they have enough tools to succeed at the highest level. It's, you know, make a difference. I mean, this morning on the way to work, I stopped at a little convenience store and there was a girl at the cash register and just looking up at her and saying, 
you know, how's your day going so far? And she looked at me as if like, wow, somebody's asking me. So she said, well, thank you for asking. She says, she said, you know, yesterday was Father's Day and my dad died, you know, about four months ago. And so I said, I'm really sorry. And I said, you know, I can understand. And, you know, I shared with her how my mom had died when I was young. And so on Mother's Day, I had that same feeling. And so she just looked at me and she said, thank you so much. So it's taking time. And the lady behind me and the lady in front of me were both on their phones. At the cash register, the lady that was in front of me, she was on her phone, and the poor girl was trying to give her her change, and the lady was still talking on the phone. And so that's what I was talking about, about being in the now. And, you know, and it's, and it's an art. Learning to be in, a, in the now is an art, meaning that you have to practice at it and practice at it. It's not something that comes natural. You know, in my own personality, I'm a deep personality, so I'm quick. I'm fast, I want everything now, and yet I have to learn to be in the now. So I have to keep learning and learning. Good thing I'm learning-based. One of the things that, that I'd really like to say, too, is that after I finish everything, like after my end of my day, I will say, what got me off track today? Because that's a big thing. It's like I, I really want the listeners to know. I mean, everything sounds so like easy and go with the flow here, but stuff happens. Stuff happens on a daily basis. And so I always write down what got me off track. And so I can either do something about it, okay? So if something got me off track and it's constant, then it, maybe there's something I can tweak in a system. Maybe there's something I can fix. If something got me off track because it was a situation where, you know, a team member was sick or something happened to their child, it's okay. It's okay to be on off track at that day. And so that I'm not beating up myself. But I think that that's something that's like really important. And then being able to step back after every transaction, after everything that I do, after this conversation with you, I will step back and I'll say, what could I have done better? What could I have shared with them that would have been better? And a transaction at the end, we sit down as a team and we say, what could we have done better for these clients? And, and that's the way we've been able to tweak and continue to tweak and improve our systems. Terry, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would tell them that depending on, you know, if they're new into town or just new in the business, you might want to consider joining a team. In today's world, you can make as much, if not even more, by joining a team and being part of a very successful organization. If you want to do it on your own, which you certainly can, then, you know, you have to lead generate. You have to decide. I mean, there are many listeners here who door knock, who make cold calls. And if that's the way it is for you, then that's what you have to do. But you have to lead generate. You have to do something. For me, it was getting involved in the Chamber of Commerce, going to meet new business owners, writing down their names, uh, getting information, following up, writing notes but you have to do something. You have to take action. So it's not just like I sit here and uh, it's, it's easy with all these people just calling me up. It's years of, of lead generation, constantly looking for ways to, to be able to help and serve people. I would wear a name tag every place I went. 
and I would make sure I have business cards. I can't tell you how many times I go places and I say to an agent, you know, give me, give me your business card, and they don't have one. It's amazing, but it's true. So wear your name tag, have business cards with you, look for opportunities to write notes to people. You know, I write notes every day. I write anywhere from anywhere from five to 15 notes a day. I send emails. I'm just constantly, you know, doing little things for people. And lastly, I would say you have to know the business. You have to go out and learn, and you're never going to stop learning. You've got to know the market. You've got to understand loans. You have to understand. You have to put yourself in the shoes of the buyer or seller or investor. What would you want? This is the biggest thing that most people do in their financial career, yet it's the easiest thing for somebody to get is a real estate license, and now they're a realtor trying to do something that could be a huge impact on somebody's financial future. So I think we need to take our business very serious and make it a business and not just like houses and people. Terry, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely. My whole career has been learning from others. When I was going to build out our market center here, I went to 12 different other Keller Williams offices around the country, and their criteria was that they had to do better than me, and they had to have moved in the last year. So I went to them. When many times when, when I was at Remax, I wanted to meet the top 10 people in Remax when I was at Remax days. And in Keller Williams, I've done the same thing. I want to go out there. I want to see people who are actually doing real estate and learn from them. And hopefully during our interview today that I've said something that somebody can either tweak into their system or do something where it's going to make a difference for the fact that they took the time to listen to this. So I think you're doing a wonderful job. I know that Howard Brinton did a, something similar for years, and now Howard is no longer with us. And so I'm pretty excited, Mike, about the opportunity to, to give back to our real estate community and through your help. And so I really want to thank you for that. Uh, thank you, Terry. I appreciate you taking the time. Terry, I've, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts? Be thankful for everything that you have. Be thankful for your family. Be thankful for the opportunities that we are given as realtors, as professional people. We are so lucky. There are so many people in all parts of the world that don't have the same opportunities. You know, I love foreign people because foreign people will come to our country. They see the opportunities that sometimes we don't see, and they've done really well. So I would say be grateful, be thankful, and do what you love, and you'll love what you do. Well, Terry, it's obvious you love real estate. You started as a real estate investor, then got your license and helped others buy, sell, and invest. You built a seventh-level team and used those skills to turn around a struggling brokerage and build it into a profitable seventh-level operation. You based it all on building relationships with your past clients, your team members, and now your agents. You learn all you can about those you want to help, and then you bond with them on a deep personal level. You showed us an excellent model of success. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month.
And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 116 homes last year worth $21 million in a tough market. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.